straight out of Austin, Texas. It's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, Statesman Sports Columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first, On Second Thought. On Second Thought, what a big episode that we're bringing to you today. Jam-packed number 300. They said we'd never make it yet. Here we are, 300 episodes later. We started in the winter of 2016, February of 2016, and here we are still bringing you a podcast all these years later. So you're saying we're in our eighth year then. So, I mean, yes. I mean, if they haven't yanked us off the air by now, maybe that means nobody's listening is the only thing I can think. Did you say maybe? I don't know how we, well, I don't know how we could fly that far under the radar that uh, somebody wouldn't yank us off the air by now. There is no radar. No, it's been fun. It's been fun. It's so. been really fun. And before we get started, we're going to have, we're, we're going to have some remembrances from some really big names. We're going to have some laughs, and we're going to talk about a little bit of everything. But I want you to listen to this stuff. Got a little celebrating to do. Where's the Be- cake? Before Where's we, the cake? Before we light the candles, yeah. I want you to listen to this. This is Cedric Golden of the Austin American Statesman and my boy, Kirk Bowles. Welcome to On Second Thought. You know what that is? That is, what is the it? Statesman Sports Podcast, brand new Hot off the presses. We've been talking about it for a while, Duck, and here we are. We're doing a podcast? We're doing a you podcast right now. This, this, this wow. is us. This I'm... is us. And guess what? It's even better because it's not video. We're ugly. They don't have to see us. They don't have to see us, but they can hear us. No fault. No exactly. fault with that. You don't have to close your eyes when you right. hear us. So. Ooh, that brings back some memories, brother. That brings back some memories. We're a little raw. Memories. Yes, yes. We sounded a little green, but we were excited. Everybody wasn't doing podcasts back then. And why don't you tell our readers how, how we both decided to do this? Because there's a Dallas connection to it. Well, uh, Kevin Sherrington and Evan Grant and and the friends of the Dallas Morning News have, have a podcast. And I'm not sure when they started theirs, but I think it's still going. So there's... As, we need to bump them off if we're going to be the longest-running podcast. In <laughs> but, but they usually have about four people on, and I was their guest several times. And, you know, they didn't need a fifth voice, that's for sure. So I could go probably, you know, eight minutes without saying a word. So so anyway, you know, podcasts were kind of getting to be the thing. And so, you know, you and I were saying, well, heck, we can do this. Why don't we do this? So because uh, – you know, we've got half a personality between the two of us. So, Just half. So let's give it a try. Then we had to name it, of course. And so I remember knocking around a whole bunch of names and finally came up with on second thought, meaning more like on second thought, maybe we were wrong. It's a little bit like PTI, like, you know. Exactly. When uh, when they sign off, they, well, we'll try to do better tomorrow. So, uh, but uh, it's been a fun run for Seven plus, almost seven and a half years. Seven and a half years. And, and Duck, uh, the guest list of the podcast is just 
it's insane. And I jotted down a few names and, yeah, and I know we're going, I know we're going to miss a few and we apologize in advance, but I want, I wanted to, first of all, I want to give a shout out to our producers over the years, Alyssa Vidalis, Adam Fish, Chandler Hoffley, our former sports editor, Jason Jarrett, who, who kept this thing going, um, editor in chief, Debbie Hyatt and John Bridges, they they let us be us, and uh, we appreciate them for that. Our co-workers who have been on the podcast, Suzanne Halliburton, Mark Rosner, Brian Davis, Danny Davis, Cad Vasquez, Matthew Odom, and um, Mike Craven, uh, to name a few. Um, and then it gets down to the the people in our business and the and the stars uh, in broadcast and the the athletes themselves that have been on here. So many to name, Duck. Who are your favorites? Uh, I need to hear who are your favorites. Well, first, I'd just say, you know, we've had a huge guest list, and uh, we'd like to thank our crack staff for lining up these guests. Oh, oh what? <laughs> we are you. the crack staff. <laughs> that'd be you and me. We don't have a secretary. We don't have any producer uh, other than the ones that put this together. So we have to line up our own guests. So we get told no quite a bit. Charles Barkley, Rick Neuheisel. Uh, but uh, Ricky John Robinson, yeah, yeah, John on this spring, but gonna get Bijan. I guess my favorites were probably uh, David Faraday, the Mm -hmm. the comic slash golf broadcaster, is a favorite. Uh, Paul Feinbaum has been on with us, I don't know, maybe six or seven times. He always brings it so gracious, so gracious. Herb Street was great, Vern Lundquist, Jim Nance. Dickie V. I mean, it's kind of been the who's who. Brent Musburger, Barry Trammell, Kirk Herbstreet, Brad Sham, John yep. McLean, Clarence Hill and Mac Engel from the Star-Telegram, Mike Finger and Jeff McDonald from the Express mm-hmm. News, Richard Justice, Kevin Sherrington. Yeah. Just so many. Our girl, Holly Rowe. Um, just wonderful. Stacey Dales. Um, mm-hmm. There's Chris Budden. Just so many great great um stars um we've had we've had hall of fame coaches on this podcast bob stoops has done this podcast barry switzer has done this podcast and we're gonna start out duck with Mm -hmm. one of my favorites mac brown of the texas longhorns was inducted into the hall of fame a few years back you got Mac Brown on? How the hell did we get Mac on? How I don't know. Ever- I don't know. But he he must have been feeling in a better mood because he came on for episode 70 of On Second Thought in 2018. And he, uh, you know, of course, we had to ask him about the great run of the 2005 team and everything that went into that. Here's Mac on second thought. So much has been written and said about that uh, 2006 national championship game. And and I don't know, is is there one memory more than anything else that when you think back to that, uh, you know, 12 years ago, Mac, anything that jumps to the forefront in your mind? I would think, Kirk, just a few things. Number one, how great the game was back and forth. And it was two teams averaging 50 points a game and, and two of the best teams to ever play. Uh, I was proud of the way our guys handled the media and the build-up to the game. Uh, the game itself uh, is just uh, unbelievable. With 6:42 left, we're sitting there with uh, 
um, Terrell Brown and Michael Griffin on the bench hurt. They just scored to go up by 12, and Vince Young's walking up and down the sidelines saying, we're going to win the game. We just needed to stop. Let's go. And, and then you could see we scored very quickly. But I think even after we scored and, and you're in the dressing room, and, and Pete Carroll was so gracious because he said, you hate to lose a national championship game to anybody, but Texas was a true champion today. Congratulations. And, and, and it hasn't been talked about much, but after we got to the dressing room, both Reggie Bush and Matt Liner came and knocked on the door and asked me to come out and, and they said, Coach, you all got a great team. Congratulations. And, and there was a lot of talk about SC thinking they should have won and all that kind of stuff because it was a very emotional moment for both teams. But it, uh, uh, the USC people did show a lot of class uh, at the end of the game. And, and the way that game ended, it was just such a you know wonderful tabloid of emotions and color and pageantry. You know, before Vince scores that that winning touchdown, anything on the sidelines or I don't remember if you called timeout before that touchdown run, but remember the emotions and and what you may have told Vince Young before that play, Mac. Yeah, we well we did call timeout and and basically said, Vince, you're a great player. You got a great arm, but your feet are really good. So look quick. <laughs> if it's not there, go score. And uh, and then he did that obviously very well. Uh, but I, I thought I was so proud of that team after they scored. We had a, a timeout in our pocket. Right. And we needed to go for two because field goal still beats us. They got nine chance. They've got a timeout, and you've got to kick off to Reggie Bush. So a lot of people asked me why you didn't show any emotion. I was trying to figure out where we're going to kick it. <laughs> Who's the guy we can kick it to to get away from Reggie Bush? And But our guys didn't have a celebration penalty. They didn't have a delay game penalty. They knew they were going to go for two. We already had the play call. It wasn't a great play call. It was a quarterback draw, but our guys were, were had a lot of momentum at that time and just knocked them into the end zone, and Vince fell in. And even more than that, USC wasn't prepared for us to go for two, so they had to use their last timeout, which was a huge, huge. part of that ball yes, game. You're right. In you're the right. end, because that, that would have given them another player or two. So – I was just really, really proud that uh, that team that was a very mature team and a, a very confident team, uh, the old adage of act like you, you have been there before, uh, they acted like they knew they were going to score and go for two and, and win the game, and I'm, I'm really proud of the way they handled it. Well, Mac, I know the one thing that I always take out of, and Kirk and I talked about this over the years, is is you, for some, on, the, on the greatest night of your life, you, you did two things. The first thing you did was honor Texas high school football coaches in Texas high school football, which which just kind of allowed the state to poke its collective chest out, mm-hmm. uh, out out west, you know. And and then the second thing is in the locker room, you told your guys, don't let this be the best thing that's ever happened to you. And what put it on your heart to tell them that? Because uh, I'm sorry, winning a national championship – is a huge deal, and, and it's hard to top, but what put it on your heart to tell him that in those moments? Well, said number one, when you're down by 12 with 6.42 left, you're not planning a post-game speech. <laughs> I, can, I can promise you that. So, so I didn't have anything to say, and, and it's uh, obviously a wonderful time in, in all of our lives. So there's chaos. You see Pete Carroll. He's so gracious. You go down – seeing the eyes of Texas to your 60,000 fans that are still there all excited and 
Um, I don't think you really realize what's happened as a coach at that time because you, you're still in a, a work mode and you're still trying to figure out what's next and what do you do. And then you, you get up on the um, a podium with John Saunders and, and your team and they hand you that trophy and, and you really haven't prepared. So you the, the first thing I thought is my granddad and my dad were high school football coaches and very honestly – uh, a lot of the opposing coaches thought I did it for recruiting. I didn't at all. Uh, I thought it was a wonderful time to honor my dad, my granddad, and, and thank the Texas high school coaches because they'd been really good to us. They, they'd been very positive and helped us in recruiting. And this was a, a way to not only thank them but give them the credit that they were due that the kids that they coached and raised won a national championship because – uh, they're always fighting with Florida and Ohio and California about who has the best high school football. And, and, and this was just a moment for them where I could say thank you and, and let them brag. And, and it, uh, I, I didn't even think about it because I, I love those guys and the high school coaches were so instrumental in us winning. I wanted them to be part of it. And then it, it's something that never got mentioned is I, I asked Bill Little to go get Coach Royal because I wanted him standing up there with us and, and Coach Troy so graciously said, "No, this is Max' moment. Uh, let wow. him have this. I'll, mm. uh, I'll, I'll see him later." Uh, which was so classy by Coach Royal. And then, as we're walking in by the the big equipment truck, there's three national championships that were painted on the the truck, and Miss Edith was up there on a ladder with a heezy tape, putting a four over the three. <laughs> wow! <laughs> which, which is which is a picture I'll never forget. That's just a visual that I uh, thought, how cool. Uh, somebody make sure she doesn't fall. We don't need Miss Edith getting hurt on the truck. That's the first but, thing I thought. <laughs> um, and, and, and then when we get to the, the dressing room, you've got my mother in there. It's her birthday. You, you've got Lance Armstrong and, and um, Roger Clements and Matthew McConaughey and Rex Lynn and all these guys standing around hugging players. And then you have two players from USC come up and say, Congratulations, which they sure didn't have to do, but they said we didn't, we couldn't find you on the field, and we wanted to make sure that you understood that that um, we respect your team and, and the way you guys played tonight. And I think more than anything else, I thought in looking at that team to say thank you because that that was really cool. That hadn't been done in 35 years, and and that was the obvious. And then I, I also felt like they're totally spent mentally and physically, and uh, I should tell them to be careful and not get in trouble tonight because it's uh, they're very visible and they don't want to ruin a great moment in their life. And, and then I just thought that this can't be the end of a 21-year-old's life. I mean, it's a, this is a beginning, so use this for better things. And it's funny that last year at the Notre Dame game, so many of them came up to me and said, we thought you were nuts. How <laughs> about, about throwing water on a uh, cold water on a, a great time in our life? And then they said, now that we've got jobs and now that we've got families and kids and, uh, and our wives and we're working in the community, we, we do get it. We understand it 10 years later. Doug, so great. So great. And I know that ran a little long and I know you all loved every second of it because you could hear the enthusiasm and Mac Brown, Mac Brown was, was talking as a coach that won a championship and who knew in 06 duck that it would be 17 years and we're still waiting 
to see Texas even make it to another championship game. Are you saying they're not back? You're saying no, not back. Oh, not okay, back. not back. Okay. okay, that's cool. Not back, not back. So, what did you think about? Um, what did you think about Mac? First of all, deciding to do this because um, we all know that our relationship with with uh, William Mac Brown hasn't always been tops. But he come on, talk to us. Yeah, he is. And, you know, one uh, caveat we need to uh, tell our uh, audience, former our listening audience, now our listening and viewing audience, is that remember pre-pandemic, this was uh, audio only. And then Zoom was introduced to America, you know, Mm -hmm. in 2020. So then our paper said, well, we need to put you guys, your ugly mugs on TV, you know, every week. So unfortunately, you know, the audience has suffered and had to had to see our ugly mugs as well as listen to us. But uh, but uh, so anyway, so not everybody's wanted to dress up. So you know, some we just kind of get uh, on audio. But that's been fun too. It really has been, and um, you know, we you know we don't always put them all on on video, but but we the special ones we do. Now, one of the ones that we had that that was before video is when we were in a swanky studio downtown at the old Statesman building, episode Deal. 58, David right. golf analyst extraordinaire, was doing uh-huh. some stand-up comedy, and his people got with our people, and we decided if Faraday's going to be in Austin doing a stand-up, we, we got to get him on this podcast because... He's an entertaining cat. <clears throat> yeah. And it turned out to be an a, like an almost a 90-minute podcast because it was the longest interview we've done to date on this pod and easily the funniest. And we have to share with you the conversation about Derek David Faraday, David Faraday, and his struggle with alcoholism and how he made it funny for us. Here's David Faraday on Second Thought. And, and you're a recovering alcoholic, and you've been very open about your struggles and your addictions. Yeah. And, and you had a, a relapse after you'd lost your son uh, to a drug yes. overdose. Do you do you talk about this in your comedy show, Dave? Uh, occasionally, um, I, I will. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I mean, I talk about my, uh, you know, struggles for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the, the last time that, uh, you know, when I first got sober, uh, part of it was uh, a very small part, I have to say, was, you know, the, the doctor that I was uh, seeing, I'd seen for uh, God, my whole life, you know, a family doctor mm-hmm. asked me how much I was drinking. Right. You know, and my, my first uh, my first thought was, I have to get a new doctor. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, and he... Uh, <sighs> I told him, you know, two two bottles a day. Wow. And, uh, yeah. Of uh, and he said of wine. I said no of uh, whiskey. Yeah. And he said, have you ever thought about getting help? And I said, no, I can drink it all by myself. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> oh, so did you cut that back to one and a half, or how did you fix this? <laughs> well, um, there's. Uh, I actually don't really talk about this in the show but it was tom watson who uh, uh my wife and, and tom watson were the two that uh you know my, my wife said I, I can't live like this anymore mm-hmm. you know i mean i was half man half mattress uh you know watching tv with uh and there was a moment where my daughter who was about 
five or six at the time she climbed up on top of me and mm-hmm. looked at the bottle, which was nearly empty, you know, a bottle of Bushmills on the coffee table beside me. Right. And she said, Dad, Dad, you need another bottle. Oh. And uh, that was <laughs> just sort of etched into my heart, oh, uh, those my. those words. Wow. Um, was, that, was that your moment but, of clarity that, that alcoholics speak about? Well, uh, there was that, and I was doing a... Uh, a made-for-TV uh, thing in Canada. It was Jack Nicholas versus Tom Watson. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the short version is Tom looked at me and thought, hmm, God, you know, this guy needs to be... Uh, you know, I didn't realize at the time that Tom had, had a problem mm-hmm. uh, with alcohol. Right. And uh, he said to me, he said, uh, you know, you need to need, need to come with me. And I said, what do you mean? Um, and he said to Kansas, you know, to a meeting. Hmm. And I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to back out of this at this point. You right. know, I mean, we're, right. we're in Prince Edward Island right. in the Maritimes, you know, and I told him, hey, we need two float planes and a kayak to get to Toronto from here. How, how am I going to get to Kansas City? Uh-huh. And uh, uh, Jack chirps up from behind, you know, he says, you need to go with him. You look like crap. <laughs> and, uh, so I'm, I'm being cajoled by, by Tom Watson. I'm heckled by Jack Nicholas. You know, that's, that's essentially what put me over the edge. You know, uh, Jack flew me in his in his G5 uh, uh, the following day after the match was over. And, uh, you know, Tom Watson and Jack Nicholas uh, got me on, on the right path. <laughs> it's still that's my favorite. That's my favorite guest we've had on the show. Me you know, too. Me was. too. And he was so so humble and deferential and vulnerable and just flat out funny. He's just he's hysterical. If you ever get a chance to see him live stand up, please you need to go. Need to go. You know what? I I really hate that he that he's on the live tour now because we don't see him on TV anymore. Oh, we we so don't. he's no longer part of that and. Um, we have to really search for live golf to, to hear David Faraday. So uh, not hating on the, the career choice, but I just wish we saw more of him and that he was more accessible to us. Yeah, we uh, live asked us to be, a, they wanted to sponsor our podcast and I don't know what it was, 100, 150 million. It was something. We said no, we said, we no, said no, Doug. No, forget it. You we're can't not buy even, us. We're not, we're not even going to consider it. So I'm, I think not, I'm not Phil Mickelson. I'm not Brooks Kepka. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, who's the other one? Cam. I'm not him with the mullet. Yeah, Sergio I mean, Phil Mickelson. We just I'm, go down. To I'm, I'm not. I'm not a slim down Bryson DeChambeau. We can't be bought. We cannot be bought. We said no. We said no. Give us a call. Um. So, Duck. Um, yeah. Who else we got? Earl Campbell. I remember is probably the best running back we've ever interviewed on this podcast. Probably he is the best running he back. He is the best running back we've ever interviewed on this podcast. And Earl, uh, you know, we have to say rest in peace to the great Jim Brown, who said when asked who the greatest running backs were, he goes, Well, the line starts with me and Earl Campbell, and then I'll let y'all debate the rest. That's, that's enough. Company. That's enough for me. That's big company. So around 2014, uh, the Texas Longhorns had this running back by the name of Deontay Foreman, and and we had Earl Campbell on our podcast, and we we had to ask Earl about Deontay because he was a great running back on a not-so-great Texas team. Here's what Earl had to say. I was telling someone a few minutes ago, uh, I've been watching this young man, and I started really, really watching him this year, but when they played uh, – 
University of Notre Dame, their first game over by our sideline, I think was about the 50-yard line. They had him, and he didn't want to go down, so he got away from two of them, and then to keep it balanced, he put his hand on the ground, and I said, oh, man, look at that. <laughs> I thought that was a. I saw a little bit of me in there, and I learned that move from Coach Lawrence Laguire in junior high, and he stayed with me in high school. And I think this young man is something special, Deontay. I think he's going to go a long ways. I think he has a chance of uh, playing in the NFL if if nothing happens, and I think he's going to be a great representation of what we produce at the University of Texas. Duck, it's fun to hear Earl talk ball. And, and you could hear the excitement in his voice. He goes, Oh, look at her. That looked like me running. Uh, I mean, that was cool. That was Our cool. It looked like him, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know how much it looked like him, but it, it did look like him. So uh, we mentioned Mac Brown, Duck. Mm-hmm. And near the end of his tenure, it wasn't doing, it wasn't going gangbusters. It wasn't and, I was at, and I was at a game. And you were at the same game. And I went to a tailgate where there were Nick Saban T-shirts at a Texas tailgate. Longhorn Nation had turned on Mac Brown and were hadn't had their eyes turned toward Tuscaloosa. And they wanted them some Nick Saban. So you wrote about it. I wrote about it. There were stories about his wife, maybe out in Spanish Hills, Spanish Oaks, is it, Duck? Looking for a house, those stories were out there, and so we've 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 developed a friendship with Paul Feinbaum, the mouth of the South, a nationally syndicated radio show host and TV star, who covered the Crimson Tide like a glove for many years, and we asked him, how close did Nick Saban want the job? Listen to this conversation between us and the great Paul Feinbaum. How, do you think Nick wanted the job? And, you know, that stuff's always hush-hush behind closed doors. You know, do you think he would have come if that had been a hard offer and uh, it had been kept quiet? Kirk, I think he would have. Uh, I mean, he, he's a wanderer, or he was. <laughs> and and I, I think around that point, uh, they were feeling like maybe they weren't being uh, respected enough and maybe they weren't uh, – uh, and, and if you remember, remember, Bill Battle was the athletic director at the time, and and Bill Battle was a no nonsense guy. I mean, he, I, I have, yeah, he, he can deny this all he wants, but th- there was a growing tension there. And I'll tell you a funny story if you promise not to. Well, I don't care if you do or not. Um, so <laughs> I, in, uh, I think it was 2015, I was doing a, an outside the lines profile of Nick Saban. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, nice. So I'm flying on a plane with him to back from Connecticut to Tuscaloosa. And I asked him specifically, even though I we all had sources, you had better sources than I did. But I had uh, uh, you know plenty of sources that were indicating what, what had already transpired. So I asked him on, on camera, I said, I said, uh, Coach Saban, can, can we address the Texas situation? How close did that come? He said, oh, I never talked to him. Uh, that That's just something that. Uh, you know, I, th- I think he said, you guys, you know, you guys created. Um, and I like, what are you supposed to do? I, I mean, you're on, you're on a plane <laughs> with this guy. It's not like, so yeah. I said, well, that uh, moved on to another subject. So yeah. cameras got put up, the camera guys in the back of the plane sleeping. It's a, it's, it's, it's the Alabama plane. And, 
we sat out where we had, we had about another 30, 40 minutes. He looked at me, and said, he said, man, he said, I can't, he said, yeah, that thing got pretty crazy, you know, and Sexton's talking to this guy yeah. and that guy. Yeah. And he said, but in the end, he said, just too many people to deal with. I, I'm not, I, I, I was just simply not going to deal with all those, uh, guys who you know all those boosters who 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 think uh you know they run the t- they run the show and i'm like going this guy just got through telling me on li- on national television that he never talked to him and now here he is i mean i'm like going what did i miss um but, <laughs> but, but liability. you're a political science <laughs> yeah it's not a yeah, and, game and by the way at that moment i started to think maybe everything nick saban says isn't true <laughs> absolutely they all lie <laughs> Only if their lips Jimmy are moving. Sexton. Yeah. Jimmy Only Sexton was all over this. And he's Nick Saban's mouthpiece. That, that, those are semantics. We know. Oh, no, it's true. His, his man was talking to Texas. Saw his there, back channel. Saw his back channel. There's no, there's no doubt. And, and, and it had already been reported at this point. You know that. Uh, yeah. It had been reported seriously. Uh, in fact, I had done a book with Gene Wojciechowski. Right. Uh, and Gene had a, a – it was not my source. Gene had a source. Um, that that we used in this, it was like an afterthought in the book. By the way, it was like the, like a bunch of notes you're cramming into the final couple of pages, and and AP or somebody picked it up and said Nick Saban offered a hundred million dollars according to some new book, and I'm like going, that's not what even the, the book wasn't even about that. But uh, so I mean, and, and even, so my point is Saban knows all this, of course, uh, but he didn't care. Uh, he wasn't about to. I mean, he wasn't about to acknowledge it. But I have no doubt. Uh, if there were a few less people involved, he probably would have done it. And, and I and listen, I've heard the other side from Mac Brown. We used to spend every Sunday morning together uh, in in Bristol, Connecticut, on ESPN. So can, can I tell you that Mac Brown will confirm that story? You guys already know the answer to that, of course. Yeah, and he was trying to kill it. Mac was desperately trying to hang on. And, and I and I was, you know, speaking out of school or, or in school here. I, I don't think I'm not sure how I, I don't know how many times Mac Brown has spoken to Nick Saban since. You're wow. probably, probably right. So well, you know, what, they'll they'll have they'll have to speak uh, before the CFP. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. <laughs> um, we were Kirk remembers this. We were at the football banquet, and Mac. We knew Mac was done. We knew sure. he, he just looked done. His last season, and he's making he's cracking these jokes and nobody's laughing because everybody's depressed and um and it comes across twitter had just come out and we all had our little phones and nick saban got an extension that night and that's what it was all about as you guys know uh it was was jimmy sexton and i'm I'm sure i'll get in trouble because as a reporter covering the sec you are not allowed to speak uh what i'm about to say but it was it was just typical Sex, uh, Sexton uh, shenanigans, uh, mm-hmm. playing everyone against everyone else. And uh, he he took Alabama for uh, – I don't think Bill Battle uh, – I had a source tell me in the middle of all this, guys, that Bill Battle said, I'm done. I'm, I'm not giving this guy any more money. And then here comes here comes the Texas rumors, and uh, guess what? He got more money. Duck. You mean coaches lie? Coaches <laughs> lie, Duck. Hard they to believe. Lie. They lie. Hard like to I, I could, yeah. On TV. Here's my question, Duck. And this, this, this was episode two, 271, only 29 episodes ago. So just, this is only a few months ago when we talked to the mouth of the South. I wonder if Nick Saban, if word got back to Nick Saban, that Paul Feinbaum basically called him a liar on, on a podcast. I wonder if that ever got back to him. 
I have it on good authority that Saban never misses an on second thought. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You got to believe he, he did. So, uh, but maybe that's why Nick Saban doesn't return our calls. Exactly. I'm sure that's why um, it's a, it's a great, um, it's a great thing that we have going because the one thing that, that brings joy to my heart is we're able to connect with, with journalists from all over the country and coaches from all over the country and broadcasters from all over the country. One of our favorite guests, Kirk, was Jim Nance. Mm. Jim Nance, he he was with us. I think he's been with us like three times. And he's a busy man. Yeah. Golf, college basketball, NFL. But he's 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 taking time out of his busy life to, you know, to come hang out with us. Now, in January of 2020, the sports world was rocked to its core. Kobe Bryant and his daughter perished with six others in a helicopter crash. And Jim Nance, who was a who was a voice, a journalistic voice of a generation, we asked him about that. Because so it's it hasn't always been cookies and cream on this podcast. We've tackled some some difficult subjects, and this is what the great Jim Nance had to say about Kobe. We're gonna get right to it, okay? Uh, the sure. world, the world just was shattered by the news of Kobe Bryant's death and, uh, curious what your interactions were. I know you mentioned him on the, uh, CBS broadcast of the golf tournament, uh, uh, this weekend. So what was your, uh, instant reaction and your interactions with Kobe? It's still just, I think everybody's feeling the same thing. We're all numb by it and still wake up thinking it's not going to be true. I was five minutes from going on the air with the Farmers Insurance Open on Sunday when I got pulled aside that there was something out there on social media that no no major news organization had confirmed nor reported on at that right, point, right. but that there had been this chopper accident, and I'm trying to get my mind around it. Immediately, I understood the enormity of the story, and um, you know, we're coming on the air with a golf tournament. It's got a lot of the biggest names in sport, including Tiger, who you know, was in contention for his historic 83rd win, which would have been the most all time. Right. But all of a sudden, it didn't feel meaningful at all, anything that uh, was taking place there at Torrey Pines. You, know, you just couldn't get out of your head what you'd just been told. So we came on the air. Nick Faldo and I did a little open about um, there are reports out there and we'll, and. It was just trying to make our way through it with the right tone, just speaking from the heart. And uh, it was it was just a gloomy day. There's no doubt about it. Here we are all these days later, and it's just anytime you hear it, it's just it's heartache. You know, uh, Jim, we saw the best and the worst of journalism. You know, they had Rick Fox dying on the helicopter and all yes. four of Kobe's kids. But, you know, the real news people out there did such a bang-up job and – watching the coverage on ESPN and TNT and all over. Uh, I got to tell you, my friend, I shed a few tears this weekend. It affected me more than I thought. Um, uh, how close were you to Kobe, and uh, what were your interactions with him? Not a whole lot, to be honest, Cedric. See, he didn't play college basketball. I right. broadcast the NCAA tournament in the Final Four for 34 years, but he didn't come through the college system. So my interactions with, with Kobe were, were minimal. Ran into him a few times at some events that he attended, including some NCAA games where he happened to be in the arena. But I really didn't know him, unlike most of the players. You know, I've had kind of the same 
thing I could say about LeBron, but the rest of the star players around the NBA, you know, who have gone through the college system, I know them. I have a relationship with them. But having said that, uh, you still feel such a, a tie to them. I mean, one of the superstars of sport, someone that um, was leading a beautiful life now in retirement with his right. with his family and dedicated father, and just just the the tragic way that it all happened. You know, with his daughter on board, it's just. Uh, it rips your heart out. That's all it I does. can say. It and really I, does. And it, I yes. disagree for everybody. And By it, the way, you know, it, the, the Alta Belli family that was on board, right, the baseball yes. coach from right. community college was the University of Houston captain of yes. our baseball team mm-hmm. over at my alma mater. So I know a lot of people that knew John, and I've heard a lot of stories about him. We missed crossing over at school there by a couple of years, but um, it's just for all the people, all the victims. It's just, uh, it's just horrific. So Ducky didn't know him very well, but, but he still could speak on it because it's Jim Nance yeah. and, Jim, and Jim Nance is an important voice. And when he speaks, it's like EF Hutton people listen. Yeah, that was a sad moment. So, but yeah, we appreciated Jim gracing our podcast a few times. So, uh, Maybe we can get him more now that he's not doing the NCAA basketball tournament. I wonder. I wonder. I wonder if he's going to be playing more golf and doing. Fury. Yeah, but he's still doing the golf and he's doing NFL. So, um, but maybe in you know in the springtime, maybe he's uh, he got a little more time to spend with us. Duck, another one, another another great one, another legend who's not without controversy. Visited with us on episode forty-four. That's our first year of podcasting. Brent Musburger <laughs> joined us, and we used to call it the dungeon because we were doing it in a studio back in then. He joined us in the dungeon, and he wanted to talk about some things that he had been involved with, his relationship with the great Jimmy the Greek when we were all growing up watching NFL Today, some questionable comments about A.J. McCarron's girlfriend, <laughs> and some other comments about then uh, rookie running back Joe Mixon, who had, had recently been videotaped knocking a woman out in a restaurant. Here's the great Brent Musburger extended on second thought. You mentioned you mentioned Jimmy the Greek, and, and I just saw that documentary not long ago. It may have been Excellent. like a week or two. It was great, and it went into the, Jimmy's uh, problems and, and his very sad, tragic ending and uh, the relationship that you two had. I love the scene uh, with the boxing clubs that you had. And uh, that was uh, – how would you term y'all's relationship when y'all were on the show together, Brent? Well, when I said I could have used more time, that would have helped that relationship. Jimmy and I were very yeah. close. And, uh, yeah, he wanted more time. But... Exactly, yep. exactly. And uh, – and we had Phyllis, and, and she needed some time to talk about some mm-hmm. things. So it was, a, it was a shortage. It was a shortage of time, but uh, it was very, very sad to me how it how it ended. Um, if you look back on it and you read back through Jimmy's statements, uh, I, I'm quite sure that CBS management at the time uh, had other issues with Jimmy, and so he got no support. The further up the chain it went, uh, with mm-hmm. our particular, he was not trying to disparage, uh, African Americans. No. He obviously moved into an area where he didn't have a lot of expertise and, uh, was not the most eloquent 
in, in describing the uh, history of slavery and, and, and what things were, came out of it and everything. So it was, but then afterwards it was even sadder because nobody picked up Jimmy. And uh, so he, he really was lost in the, in the final years of his life. And that, that was probably the saddest thing of all for me to, uh, I, I felt for sure that someone would give him a, um, a second chance and, and they did not. And, uh, yeah. so even to this day, that's a, that's sadness on my part. Yeah. That, that basically was the end of his career after, after that episode. And, uh, yes, it was. And, and, yeah. And for someone who's been in broadcasting long as you have, uh, you're not immune to controversy, obviously. Uh, the whole, the whole thing with Catherine Webb, uh, the Joe <laughs> Mixon thing, uh, you know, one was light, one wasn't so light. So after the whole Joe Mixon thing, it kind of created a brief firestorm on Twitter. Uh, any regrets about that whole episode? No, not not really. I mean, the uh, I suppose the only regret is that it blew up with the, with the Twitterati crowd out there. Mm-hmm. That, uh, they they seem to sit around and and want to play gotcha, and as I demonstrated, I quite willing to double down with you. Uh, There was no particular reason for me to be talking about the, uh, about the young lady uh, to explore what might have been her problem, uh, to explore what has been her problem. That's none of my business or my affair. I had Joe Mixon playing very well, very well right in front of me. And uh, so I went in, and I certainly don't regret saying that I hope he gets a second chance because I still do. Uh, and if any scout or any executive with the NFL team would ask me about what I saw at practice that week with him, I'd be glad. I'd be glad to tell them that he looked like just another good football player to me at practice, listen to the coaches, and I would also tell them that he has got a chance to be an outstanding third down back for anybody. His hands were as good as any receiver on that team, and Oklahoma had several. So hmm. that that led me into it. He was in front of it, and uh, I do hope he gets a second chance. I don't uh, I don't wish that the young man blows a knee out or can't play or any of that nonsense that uh, that goes on. What he did was horrible. I mean, I I don't, I don't even think I have to say that. We all will understand it. He overreacted. Mm-hmm overreacted to a situation in inside a restaurant but we we don't need to be sending him away to prison for the rest of his life because of that there, there were a lot of circumstances surrounding that and if you go back and read all the interviews from some of the eyewitnesses outside on the sidewalk you're left to wonder uh who really did uh encourage this to develop and who's telling the truth and who's not and of course those things are very hard to uh, to sort out so i don't no, I don't back away from what I said about um, what I said about Joe Mixon. Um, as far as Catherine Webb is concerned, that was just the stupidest thing I was ever involved in. I mean, I called a beauty queen beautiful, and somebody's getting upset. <laughs> Give me a break, Doug. You know the part I liked about it is he goes, um, you know, and I'm not backing backing down on this. Brent Musburger was never a punk. He's never been a punk, and maybe that's cost him some money over the years. But he, you know, he he stuck to his guns and just kind of, hey, this is me and this is how it is. He did it his way. And you can't uh, hear the phrase, you're looking live without thinking of Brent Musburger. Exactly. And 
And so, Duck, the, I guess the most controversial one we've ever done came with the late, great T-Boom Pickens, and it went absolutely viral. Um so episode twenty eight, we're still we're still in our face our our um, podcast infancy, and we get T Boone. You you had T Boone's number. You got T Boone on, and somehow it got around to his relationship with uh, Coach Mike Gundy, and it turned it turned explosive. And this is how it sounded. You mentioned that the the uh, Baylor game. Uh... Uh, I, I I thought you guys had that game in the bag uh, inside the ten yard line twice. What kind of what went wrong there at the end? You know I don't know uh, that uh, that we struggle sometimes on those <clears throat> on those situations and the uh, but it uh, I, I don't you know I don't have any idea. I, I watched the game on television. I was not in Waco and. Mm-hmm. And I've had no conversation with anybody over there, so I don't, I don't know. But I, I don't have any conversation with Gundy anyway. So you don't talk to Mike? No, we, uh, we had a period we didn't communicate, and then a couple of years ago we got together, and he asked me to come up to Stillwater and talk to his team, and I told him I'd be glad to. We had lunch. Mm-hmm. He came down here in Dallas, and. And then he called me every week after that until we got the it was a TCU game and you know we had a that was really a good game and mm-hmm. we oh what shoot you know we beat him I was up at Stillwater that was last year and right. we yeah we beat him up there and then the next week Baylor beat us pretty bad I never heard from him. Oh, you beat us the next week. I didn't hear from him. Old Miss beat us at the Sugar Bowl, and I never heard from him. I never heard from him after the TCU game. I haven't heard from him since. So, uh, does that mean there's a rift between you two, or how would you describe it? Well, I don't know. Uh, Mike it doesn't handle uh, people relationships very well, and he, mm-hmm. he gets mad about things. And so I think he's uh, – I've heard that he's – uh, written some notes about me that weren't very complimentary. Doug, needless to say, we didn't get T Boone again after that. Uh, <laughs> that was it for T Boone. I think he told you you got him in trouble. Yeah, he and uh, Gundy weren't speaking, and then uh, we and T Boone weren't speaking, at least, <laughs> in the po- at least on the podcast. So, oh uh, my God, he was great. And you know, where would Oklahoma State be without T Boone Pickens? He was the Phil Knight of the of the Big Twelve. Absolutely, that is the best comparison. Yeah, he 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 did to them what Phil Knight does for Oregon. That's exactly right. And, um, another controversial topic: uh, Kirk Herbstreet, the beloved um, yeah ESPN College Game Day announcer, called analyst, referred to Texas football as a cesspool, and we had to get him, Duck. We had to get Herbie. On there to explain himself. He didn't back down either. He owned it. Mm-mm. And this was this was five ep- episodes after T Boone was Herb Street. So we were rolling. We had some. Those are two of our most most listened to podcasts. And so we asked him about what did you mean by that. And this is what Herbie had to say. And you know, speaking of chaos, we've had more than our share here at Austin. You know, we're, we're still waiting for Charlie to turn the corner. 
you know, you kind of created a firestorm with your cesspool comment. I know you kind of explained that a little bit. Uh, you know, to yeah. our audience, <laughs> you were kind of describing the football culture, not the city, correct? Oh, my God. It's it's one of my favorite cities in the country. Um, I love Charlie Strong, and I, I know some of his players. It was not a comment at all about the football program, the coaches, uh, the city. I, I mean, that's, that's, I, mean, I almost moved to Austin. I, I love that area. Obviously, it's, it's one of my favorite. I have family that lived in that area as well. So, no, I love Austin. It was more of kind of the underbelly of the football program. Um, and I, I don't think it's just in Austin. I think we're kind of seeing that around the country now where uh, big money gets behind these programs and uh, gets gets involved in saying things. Anonymous sources, you know, is, is, is quoted about this is the end to this coach or that coach. We're going to bring in Nick Saban. You know, just just a lot of uh, – it's almost like a soap opera uh, at times. And <laughs> I just don't know how it helps. I don't know how it helps the current regime when it comes to recruiting. And at the end of the day, if they want to fire Charlie Strong, then they should fire him. But I just, I'm not a fan of, of elite information and anonymous sources from big, powerful boosters. It's just not healthy at all. And whether it's Charlie Strong's able to turn it around or they bring in a new coach, I just don't – I hope that changes I, I, for Texas' sake. I hope it changes, and I hope they're able to, to kind of get things going in the right direction. Keeping with the controversial topics, um, you know, we lost Mike Leach a couple of years ago, and just it, it, broke, it, it, it's bro- it broke us to see that Mike Leach was no longer with us. So great. But we were talking to him on a podcast, and – it got around to him talking about something financial and it's something that he carried to his grave duck. He always believed this. And here's what Mike Leach had to say about his former employers at Texas tech. Uh, Mike, I know you spent nine seasons at tech and people, people in these parts still remember those, those memorable teams that you coached a bowl game every year, five bowl wins. Uh, how much have you kept up with the big 12 and, uh, uh, I know we miss you. Could you see yourself coaching again in this conference? I mean, I could. I could see myself coaching at uh, anywhere, high school on up. But I, you know, I love it here. Mm-hmm. And Big uh, Twelve's a great com- conference. It's a lot of great memories. Uh, you know, <clears throat> the one thing is. Uh, Interestingly enough, Texas Tech still has not paid me for 2000, uh, 2009. <laughs> wow. And, oh, it's amazing. I mean, for so you get you get your extra income at the end of the year, uh, <laughs> which is by far the, the bulk of your salary. Right. So for 2009, uh, I did not get paid for the season. Uh, me and Texas Tech enjoyed nine wins. It not won nine wins since, and uh, and they still haven't paid me for 2009, which is really amazing, especially uh, for you know a handful of administrators that run around and masquerade themselves as their word is their bond, and all it takes is a handshake with them. 
Well, not only is, does their handshake not count, an integrated contract doesn't. I would like to. Uh, I would like to get paid for 2009, and I think that is more than fair. And I think um, that's depending uh, on the dollar sincerity of the budget and everything like. I mean, they haven't been the same ever since, and you know that was the glory years for Texas Tech. We still talk about that 2008 game with the Texas when. Harold finds Crabtree at the end of the game. So I mean, you know, I mean, you could. Yeah, it was a wild game. Was it? Was that? Awesome the, was game. that the best game of your life that you've been a part of? You know, as far as uh, I mean, just really incredible excitement. You know, we're playing the number one team in the country. Yeah, it's hard to gauge them because you know they're all good, and then mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, as close as that game was, you can think of closer ones. One of the most, because, you know, you're always trying to play the perfect game, trying to play the complete game, trying to, uh, you know, because uh, no matter how much you peaks and valleys and, and spurts, and you try to see if you can go a whole game, which is very difficult. Right. And doesn't happen very often. Give the Leach family their money. Come on, yeah. Kirby. You know, I mean, not everybody – like Mike Leach, like most of us did in the media, but uh, he he didn't mind, you know, speaking his mind. So he was frank, he was candid, and you, you had to love his, you know, post game press conferences. When uh, remember he was at uh, Washington State when they put the the mustache on him, and he he was <laughs> talking to him about Halloween candy, and uh, he was refreshing and Wedi- weddings. Uh, yeah, weddings. It's our loss that he's not around anymore because he he brought so much color and flavor to college football. I won't miss him. On second thought, Duck in January of 2020, the the legendary softball player Cat Osterman finally got her flowers. She finally got her number retired, Duck, and that was a long time coming. Way way overdue. I mean, she's. You could say she's Miss Longhorn. I mean, you could just you say cat. You know, if you can say a person's first name, everybody knows who you are and what you did. That is a spectacular legacy. And here's what here's here's Cat's reaction when she appeared on our on our episode of On Second Thought. Duck joining us via phone on the hotline. Uh, she is a Longhorn legend. One cat Osterman, who's getting her number eight retired, finally, about finally, time. About time. getting it retired March 25th at McCombs Field. The Horns will play UT Arlington. Cat is the third uh, Texas a female Longhorn to get her number retired. Should have been the first, but that's another conversation. Cat, how are you today? I'm good. How are you guys? Well, you you have always been Longhorn royalty. We all know that. But describe the emotions when. Uh, you learned this was going to happen, Kat. Um, well, I think it's been it's been probably about six, eight months in the making. Um, Crystal Conte had said that they were going to start doing it. Mm-hmm. Not that I have any type of patience, because I think I asked him why. <laughs> <laughs> I asked him when every time I run into him. Oh, um, a good question. <laughs> but then um, I saw Cammie's number get retired earlier this school year, and I was super excited. Just the fact that, okay, we're going to start retiring women's jerseys. This is cool. And uh, then that's when he explained they were going to do it chronologically. And I was, you know, I didn't care at that point. I'm like, we're retiring women's jerseys. This is this is the right movement. Um, mm-hmm. But once he finally called and was like, hey, figure out what date works. Let's talk about it. 
um, I got super excited. And then even obviously knowing that it was officially going to be done, um, just seeing it kind of in print yesterday and being able to see the way it was received from fans and media alike, it was just overwhelming. Um, it's still kind of surreal that it's actually really happening. No one better deserving than Kat Osterman, Doug. She is on the Mount Rushmore of all time athletes of any gender yeah. at the University of Texas. No question. She was just simply the GOAT. Yeah. And um, and it's always good to see her out and about. A new mama. Congrats, Kat. So fun to see her having fun. Uh, last one, Duck. And I know some people out there are not going to like it, but we just love talking to Barry Switzer. I know he coached Oklahoma, but he is the most uh, real. He's frank. Uh, unfiltered. <laughs> coaches we've ever talked to just like the late great Mike Leach and um, somehow we got to talking about money and what he's making what he made back in the day and what these other guys in the modern era are making and he did not hold back here's Barry Switzer on second thought I've already told Lincoln my thoughts about that is obviously more people more coaches rather have this job here than the one he just took in pro football certainly because of Cleveland Browns and the only reason that was attachment was because of uh, Baker Mayfield but uh, you know Bob has had his opportunities I have my opportunities uh, Lincoln's got his uh, will have his opportunities but he's going to coach here at Oklahoma because of the damn job you can win you can dictate your uh destiny because you, you recruit you don't draft and you recruit outstanding players he can win consistently and the damn guys are paid so much money today mm-hmm. Bob, Bob uh, Stoops doesn't ever have to work the rest of his damn life he doesn't <laughs> have to do a damn thing That's right. you know I, I, my first three years I made $24,000 a year my record was hell up better than either one of theirs and, uh, but uh, I was 32 one and one two national championships and I was uh, $24,000 a year coach. Yeah, loud, That's what yeah. Urban Meyer makes in the day, guys. Urban Meyer makes $23,700 a damn day. <laughs> I made that in a year. You must have had a <laughs> bad Meyer. agent. You must have had a lousy agent. No, I'm bullshit. You didn't have agents back then. It was a different <laughs> era. You know, the most I ever made at Oklahoma was $80,000 when I was coaching. Wow. And, but, I, you know, I made more out of it because I had did about five television shows and radio shows. You know, I had to create my own, produce my own shows, uh, both uh-huh. of them, radio and TV, and then I got my talent fee from that. <clears throat> but I made it a good job back in my era, uh, as good as anybody else was getting around coaching them, Farrah Bryant and the rest of them. And, but uh, uh, it's a different deal today. The athletic department's put it together. They package it all up and they go out and try to attract someone thinking, you know, they can buy a winning winning coach. You know, better, but, you know, better. I tell you what, it'll always come down to talent so they're able to recruit ability to get the players there well you're right you're right there's more job security in the coaching level too i think well, yeah bet. you, you bet there is yeah I, I am sure he made more money outside of coaching than he did of course he did 24 grand duck <laughs> oh my god he made so much more money with the tv shows and the radio appearances and oh, speeches. switzer was a good marketer very smart man he never oh, yeah. And always get credit for being smart, Doug, but very smart, very smart man. And, and he was fearless, fearless. He didn't mind saying, we're going to put half a hundred up on you. You know, he, he was he colorful. And, and 
you know what? Stop them. And he would always say it. If they can't stop us, they can't stop us. And right. that that's about as real as he gets. So 300 episodes in the books, Kirk. Uh, could we get to Dude, 400? I like that. Can we get to 400? Yeah, not in the next six months, but uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to 400. We may be drooling by then, but uh, yeah, let's make that a goal. Let's try to get to 400, okay? Who do you want? Who do you want? Who do you want well, we've always, we've always joked we wanted Barkley. I don't know if we ever get him. I mean, we've had Dickie V and Feinbaum and Herb Street and Jim Nance, you name it. I mean, you know, and I don't know, maybe we should get a few more athletes. It's hard to get athletes. Uh, it, is, it is, especially active ones. Yeah, yeah, it is. So maybe if we offered some NIL money, we could get a few athletes. Who do you want to have on? Uh, there's a couple There's a couple of couples that I would love. I would love the tandem of Peyton and Eli Manning. Oh, that'd be awesome. And, and when Arch comes to power, maybe we can get them. And what about Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi? They have They'd been be great awesome. in these final fours. They've been wonderful. Uh, yeah, but come on, they're funny. I don't know. They might take our jobs. I'm a little worried. They're too Those good. Those girls don't want to work for a living. They're rich. They're millionaires. They don't want to work. They don't. They want are to good jobs. though. They're they're very funny, very smart. So it's it's must listening. But so. man, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I, who who knew we'd be here? Uh, almost eight years later, still doing podcasts. Uh, Got to be the longest running sports podcast in the state. Uh, and and we're having fun with it, Duck, and uh, can't do it without our illustrious producers, uh, our editors at the Statesman, and the great guests who give so freely of their time because they know we ain't paying for them to no, come on. No, we don't pay. <laughs> we do not pay. That's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. We love it. I mean, you know, truth be told, Cedric, this is one of the, our favorite parts of the job. I mean, we just we can just kind of be ourselves. You know, we're not writing, so it's just, you know, casual conversation between friends. And that's the way we like to keep it. We have a lot of fun. We've been we've been having podcasts together, me and you, for over 20 years. We just didn't record them. <laughs> we just didn't record them. And and now now that people uh, know what we're doing and they're tuning in and and we're getting a lot of feedback. Uh, one guy at the grocery store looked at me and he goes, man, I love your podcast. And I go, I appreciate it. I go, how long you been reading? He goes, you right. <laughs> yeah, we both do. And we've been, you know, we need to mention the newspaper a little bit more in our podcast, I guess. Yeah, okay. a, lot, a lot of, a lot of people that are listening to the podcast don't read the paper. Statesman.com, 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 hook'em.com, anywhere you get your podcast, you can find on second thought what a pleasure to bring you the best of in our 300th episode uh, we hope you stick around for another hundred we sure as hell going to try to stick around as well and duck congratulations on your 50th uh anniversary uh read that column uh it is wonderful um informative and funny and also check out our um duck roast we had Myself, Richard Justice, Ed Clemens, Olin Buchanan, Suzanne Halliburton, Brian Davis, Mark Rosner, oh. and Richard Justice. We all gave our great duck remembrances, and it was a load of fun. So check that out as well. Let's wrap it up, Duck. Appreciate you guys joining us. For Kirk Bowles, I'm Cedric Golden.
We'll see you next time. You've been listening to On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Seth and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play. 